you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. If you are using a pew Bible there in front of you, that will be on page 1065. So we've been going through a sermon series titled, Come and See, where we have been exploring the gospel of John to see an invitation to what Jesus has done so that we might believe that he is God's son and that we might have life in his name. And here in our passage, we're going to look at our, our passage here in two parts. We're going to look at verses 11, where we see Mary's anointing of Jesus, and then we're going to look at verses 12 through 19, where we see Jesus's triumphal entry. So follow along with me as I read from John 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this for the day of my burial, but you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray that you will come down and dwell among us, that you will stir in our hearts, Lord, our hearts that are hard, our hearts that yearn for sin more than glorifying you, more than surrendering everything to you. 
I pray, Father, that you will open our ears so that we will receive your word with gladness and with joy, and that it will change our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first time I met Summer, I immediately felt loved. Because Summer had a way of making everyone she met feel as though they were one of her own children. And Summer, she was one of my customers when I lived in Pittsburgh and delivered water for a living. So I would stop by Summer's apartment regularly once a month to drop off water for her. And Summer, she, she didn't live in the best part of town. Her apartment was small and in a lot of ways falling apart and not maintained very well. And Summer, she worked a very, very demanding job with horrible hours and very little pay. And the little bit that Summer did earn, she often would give to her older children who often needed her financial help. But despite Summer's circumstances, Summer would do something amazing. Every time that I stopped by to drop off water, without fail, and no matter how hard I tried to stop Summer, Summer would hand me a $20 bill every time I dropped off water for her. And so one, one day as I was leaving and saying goodbye to Summer, I look as she's uh, reaching out to me. And instead of handing me a $20 bill, I look and I see that she's handing me a check. And so I, I take and I look at this check, and here Summer had written me a check for $200. And immediately I say, Summer, Summer, whoa, 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 this is, this is way too much. I'm your water guy. I don't need this. This is way too much. And no matter what I said, no matter how hard I tried, she just said, nope, 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 nope. This is what the Lord put on my heart to give you today. And so as I drove away with this check for $200 in my pocket, I couldn't help but think about all that Summer could have done with this money about how she could have given it to her kids and about how they could have used it, about how she could have put it into her apartment for some of the repairs that she needed, about how she could have got groceries, all the things that she could have done. And instead, she gave this $200 to her water guy. And as I drove away, I mean, it was an act of generosity that honestly left me feeling uncomfortable. And here in our passage today, we see an extreme, over-the-top act of generosity that, when we're honest with ourselves, leaves us feeling a bit uncomfortable. When we look at what Mary does when she anoints Jesus' feet, we see a shocking act of complete devotion to Jesus. So let's start by looking at verse 1 in chapter 12 to have a little bit of context as to what's happening here in our passage. So verse 1 shows us that Jesus arrives at Bethany. Now, Bethany is where Jesus had just been, where Lazarus lived. And so it's telling us Jesus came putting their faith in Jesus. And the religious leaders started freaking out because they're losing control. And so they begin plotting Jesus' death. And Jesus is no longer able to move about freely in public. So after raising Lazarus, he retreats to the desert, to a place called Ephraim, and now he makes his way back to, Bethlehem, uh, to Bethany. And the reason why this is important is because it's showing us 
that Jesus is beginning his progress towards the cross. Jesus knows that the time he was appointed for has come, and he begins making his way back up into Jerusalem as he looks ahead and sees the cross before him. And on his way, he stops at Bethany and has a meal. And when Jesus is reclining at the table, something shocking, something totally over the top happens. Mary anoints Jesus's feet. Now, the simple act of anointing someone like this, it could have been done for a variety of reasons. It was something that people would do for a guest in their home. It could have been something people would do for someone who was sick. This was also something people would do to prepare a body for burial. So the thing that's so shocking to everyone who's, who's there about what Mary is doing is not simply that Mary is doing this, that she's pouring out a perfume upon Jesus, but it's the extravagant, totally over-the-top way she does it, which shows incredible humility. First, look with me at verse 3. It tells us that Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Well, anointing and cleaning the feet was the work of servants. So when Mary does this, she is showing incredible humility and devotion to Jesus. But Mary, she goes even further than that. Verse 3 tells us that she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, this is remarkable. This is remarkable that she does this because in order to have wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, she would have had to reach up, unbind her hair, and let her hair down. And this would have been so shocking to everyone there because this was not something a first century Jewish woman would do. In a lot of ways, this would be humili humiliating as she did this. This was an extreme act of humility that demonstrated complete, full devotion to Jesus. But there's even more. There's even more about this scene that makes it so shocking. Verse 3 tells us that it was a pint of pure nard. Other translations might have pound. So if your options are small, medium, large, think of this as XL, right? This is a huge bottle of perfume. And when you would pour this out, there's no popping the cap off and pouring out just a little bit, putting the cap back on and saving the rest for later. What she would have done is break the neck off the jar and pour out the whole entire contents upon Jesus. And not only is this a huge portion of perfume, but the passage tells us that it's pure nard. I mean, this could also be genuine nard. So when you picture this huge jar that Mary has, and picture the words genuine nard stamped on this bottle. And genuine nard would have come from the nard plant in northern India. So this is extremely rare and extremely expensive and a huge jar of this very rare perfume. And verse 5 
tells us, as we see in Judas' response, that it would have been a year's worth a year's wages, or 300 denarii. So when it comes to ointment used to anoint someone's body, there is nothing finer. I mean, this is top shelf stuff. This is ointment fit for a king. Now, let's picture this scene again for just a moment. Picture this scene with me. So Jesus is there. He's having a meal. He's reclining at the table. And then Mary walks out holding this huge jar of extremely rare perfume. And everyone in the room, their heads all turn and look at Mary. And everyone is wondering, what is she about to do with that extremely large, rare perfume? Then Mary takes this jar She cracks the neck off this jar and starts pouring out the whole entire contents of this jar over Jesus. And then she reaches up, unbinds her hair, lets her hair down, and then she takes her hair and starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. I mean... It's as though all the air in the room has just been sucked out. You can hear the audible gasp from everyone watching the scene unfold. Everyone is dumbstruck by Mary's over-the-top, exceedingly extravagant, humiliating actions as she does this. And in in this moment, as the scene unfolds, there's silence in, in the midst of this shock. And everyone looks at Jesus. Everyone is looking, expecting him to do something, especially Judas. Everyone's expecting Jesus to, to do something, to say something, to stop Mary from doing something that's so over the top, so extravagant. Yet Jesus is silent. Jesus doesn't stop her. He just lays there and watches her as she does this humiliating act of extreme generosity. Does this image of Jesus make you uncomfortable? I mean, doesn't this seem like way more than what Jesus would allow or would ask for? I mean, I I thought Jesus was the servant of servants. I thought Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus' silence in this scene is a deafening declaration of who he is. He is the king who is worthy of our greatest gift and our whole heart. He is the king who is worthy in approaching his impending death on the cross. You see, the reason why we are so uncomfortable with this scene is because we're uncomfortable with the reality that Jesus is king. We like the idea, we like the image of Jesus as servant, 
But we don't like the image of Jesus as king because we know what that means. It means that Jesus is worthy of our entire lives. It means that Jesus is worthy of surrendering our most prized possession. It means that he is worthy of surrendering our pride, our dignity, our comfort, our plans. He is worthy of our complete surrender. Jesus is the king who is worthy of laying down everything. Many of us can remember the day we stood at the altar with our bride or groom-to-be and said the words, I do. And as you stood there together, binding yourselves together in the covenant of marriage, you're not saying the words, I do for better, but maybe some situations of worse. We'll just have to see. You didn't say, I do for richer, but if we lose everything, I'm gone. You don't say, I do for when you're healthy, but I know how you are when you're sick, and I can't stand you when you're sick, so I'm not sure about that one. No, when you stand at the altar and you say, I do, you are giving your bride, your groom, your whole heart, your whole surrender, your complete devotion. And Jesus has entered into a covenant with us. A covenant just like marriage where he has laid down everything. Everything for us. His throne in heaven for a manger and a barn. His throne in heaven for a criminal's cross. Jesus has given everything for you. And he is worthy of your whole heart and your whole devotion. You see, we fail to see and accept Jesus for who he really is. The king who is worthy of our whole heart. And because we fail to see Jesus properly as the king who is worthy of everything, we project who we want Jesus to be into our own lives. We take our own ideals, our own agendas, and we fit Jesus into them as though he's some sort of cheerleader for our own ideals and our own agendas. And this is exactly what we see happening here in our next passage as we look at verses 12 through 19. Now remember, Jesus has just returned to Bethany because he has begun his progress towards the cross. He's making his way to Jerusalem where a huge crowd has gathered. A huge crowd of Jewish pilgrims have gathered together to celebrate the Passover. And one commentator says it could have even been over two million people gathered together in Jerusalem. There's a huge crowd of Jewish pilgrims there. And verses 13 and 18 tell us that the crowd goes out to meet Jesus. They go out through the city gates of Jerusalem to meet Jesus outside the city as he approaches. This is what a nation does for their king when he returns. 
And as they're outside the city, they start taking palm branches and wave them at Jesus, placing them down in his, pe in his path. Palm branches, a national symbol of victory. And they start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And these words they shout would have actually been really familiar to everyone who was there, everyone who had gathered together for the Passover, because these words come directly out of Psalm 118, a psalm we looked at earlier for our call to worship. It was a psalm that would have been sung by the people every year at Passover. They would have also sang it at the Feast of Tabernacles and at the Feast of Dedication. So this psalm, Psalm 118, was deeply rooted and ingrained in their religious practices as they would sing this psalm regularly. And it was possibly even something that they had known from heart as they continued to sing, lifting their voices in hope for their messianic king. And as the Jews would sing this psalm, sing Psalm 118, it would have, have a power over them. It would have an influence over them, a way of filling their hearts with messianic hope. It had a way of identifying their pains, their struggles, their oppression, their enemies, and God's ultimate victory over them. Listen as I read from parts of Psalm 118. All the nations surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. They swarmed about me like bees. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. Hosanna, Hosanna. This is where Hosanna comes from. Psalm 118.25, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. As many Jewish pilgrims had gathered together for the Passover, they go out and they sing. They sing the psalm that they are so familiar with. They lift their voices to praise Jesus as their long-expected king, their king who would finally, finally free them from their oppressive enemy. They stand outside the gates with the palm branches lifted high, singing, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. And as he approaches, here he comes, riding on a donkey. Not on a war horse, as would have been expected from a king coming to claim victory. Not on a war horse, as would have fit the expectations of everyone who had gathered together there, who had so long filled their hearts with hope for a messianic king. Not on a war horse, which would have affirmed their own ideals and agendas. No, Jesus comes, and he flips their personal ideas and agendas upside down. This is not the king they are expecting. 
This is a king who comes in peace, gentle and riding on a donkey. This is a king who goes up into Jerusalem and yes, and less than a week later is stripped of his clothes, his dignity. He's mocked, whipped, scorned, and nailed to a criminal's cross. And here they are shouting, save us, blessed is the king of Israel. This is not the king they were expecting. I'll never forget a particular Christmas when I was seven years old. For Christmas that year, there was nothing I wanted more than a brand new dyno BMX bike. The one I had was old, falling apart, and frankly, it was just embarrassing for a seven-year-old to ride around on, in my neighborhood. And so you can imagine, you can imagine what I was like that Christmas morning when I had yearned and yearned and yearned so long to get a new dyno BMX bike. You can imagine what I was like when I opened my eyes, I look over the clock that says 4 a.m., I don't care what time it is, I'm out of bed and immediately rushing into the living room to see, to look, if I can see that brand new dyno BMX bike. And I run into the living room and I look, nothing. So I keep looking, I look behind corners, I look behind trees, I start looking everywhere for this brand new dyno BMX bike, nothing. So I plopped down on the couch, crossed my arms, and pouted until everyone else in the house woke up hours later. And as our family came out and started opening gifts, I continued holding on to the hope that maybe, maybe my parents would bring something out and say, oh, look what we found. And maybe, maybe. So we continued opening more gifts, and I was still hopeful, and nothing. We opened up more gifts, and I was still holding on to that hope that began slipping away. Nothing. We opened up more presents, more presents, nothing, nothing. Eventually, all the presents were opened. Things start settling down. No dino BMX bike. My hope was gone. But then, <laughs> but then I hear my mom's excited voice calling out to me from a different room in the back of our house. I hear, Robbie, come and see, look, there is something here for you. And I mean, before my mom is even done talking, I am there, right? I am like immediately there as I hear her call out to me. And I enter the back room of our house and I look. And there before my eyes is a brand new bike. And I mean, I'm seven years old. I am freaking out. I'm jumping up and down, hollering, shouting like a crazy person. I, I am totally losing it, freaking out. And then I look more closely. I look again. I see this is not a dyno BMX bike. <laughs> it's a different brand, different features, Different color, different look, different than the one I had been expecting. The one I had hoped for for so long. And disappointment sank in 
This was not the bike I was expecting. And as Jesus hung on the cross, many who stood before him lifted their eyes and read the words inscribed above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This was not the king they were expecting. And little did they know that as they stood there looking up at Jesus, he was there in that very moment holding the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And little did they know that this king of the Jews who hung and died on the cross would three days later come crashing out of the grave as the victorious king who has conquered and defeated death and sin forever, our greatest enemies. And now, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to Jesus the King, Jesus who is worthy of our whole hearts, our whole surrender. Jesus, the King who is worthy of casting aside our own personal ideals and agendas to accept him as the one true, only King who is worthy of our whole heart and complete surrender.